0: Research and experience point way too often to the fact that our youth ministries and churches are failing at equipping kids to leave our youth groups with a deep, significant, and lasting faith. Too many kids graduate from high school and into the next phase of life, seemingly pushing the pause or stop button on their Christian faith. Consequently, they aren't ready to faithfully navigate the difficulties they are bound to face in life. How can we begin to take kids deeper into the gospel? What are the steps we can take to promote spiritual maturity in our students? What are some of the key pillars of effective deep youth ministry? One youth worker has devoted his life to these matters after experiencing his own difficult adolescence and the sudden death of his own three-year-old son. We'll hear his story, discover how the truths of the gospel carried him through the darkness of that time, and look to learn more about doing deep youth ministry on this episode of Youth Culture Matters.
1: From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together, we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults.
0: I'm Walt Mueller at CPYU, and this is Youth Culture Matters, and as always, or as usual, Jason Sochenik is joining us from Spokane, Washington, and Project 619. Jason, good to see you, buddy.
2: Hey, good to see you, too. You're not good feeling well. You. No, I haven't been doing too good. Lost my voice, and slowly getting it back.
0: Anybody appreciate that, or?
2: I'm sure there are quite a few, but. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but we're, we're, we're making do.
0: Okay, good. Well, I'm glad you're with us because we're going to have a good conversation today. Uh, we're joined by three of my friends. Uh, Cameron Cole is here, and Cameron works with uh, the Rooted Conference and the Rooted Movement, which is uh, a newer movement in youth ministry that some may not be totally familiar with, but I've been really blessed uh, by the work that Cameron and the folks who are involved with him are doing and was able to be involved This last fall for the first time in their conference, which they had in Dallas, Texas. We'll talk more about that later. And then we're going to bring in a little bit later uh, a couple of other friends who are involved with the Rooted Movement. Mike McGarry is in New England, specifically in Massachusetts, as we record today, getting pummeled again by snow. And uh, Mike was one of our students in our doctoral program in ministry to emerging generations at Gordon Conwell Seminary. Duffy Robbins and I had him. He was in our first cohort uh, that started back in 2011. And then Kevin Yee is with us from the West Coast in LA. Uh, he's a rather interesting guy, works at a Korean American church with teenagers. I've had a chance to get to know Kevin and his wife a bit and see what Kevin's doing in terms of youth ministry and taking his students more deeply into God's Word and actually had the opportunity to to watch a presentation that kevin gave to his students that i was quite impressed with and so we're going to talk a lot about deep youth ministry but let's start with cameron cameron thanks for joining us are you in you're down in birmingham right now
1: Heart of dixie
0: Dixie. magic city yeah yeah well you're down there in the south and you're in an anglican church um tell us a little bit about that and how long you've been there what you're doing there and then i want to ask you about your story because that is quite compelling. True
1: sure thing. Yeah, I um I, I work down at the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. This is my thirteenth school year um, as a youth pastor, and uh, I ever children, youth, and family. And you know, our every our our mission statement is to form kids who stick with Christ in the church after high school and who live lives of redemption for the kingdom uh, for their whole lives. So, um, you know, what we do in our church is. Uh, is is consistent with what we promote with rooted.
0: That's awesome. Well, before we talk about rooted, I, rooted is actually the rooted movement as I hear your story is actually no pun intended or you know rooted in your story, you know, is those of us who get a vision for ministry and we start a ministry, so much of it's rooted in the journey that God takes us on and certainly that's the case with you and I was down in Birmingham uh for those who were listening I was down in Birmingham uh a month or so ago and actually got to spend a few hours with Cameron and we just talked back and forth and and had lunch together and over lunch I asked him about his story and it was it's a pretty amazing story um God's God's allowed Cameron to walk through and his family to walk through some pretty difficult circumstances and times and just go ahead and share a little bit of it because I think this is so much a part of of what Rooted is and what your commitment to to deeper youth ministry is.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, the, you know, there are kind of two two parts of my story. Um, I, I I had a real conversion when I was in the third grade. Um, classic classic Alabama testimony. A tornado came through my neighborhood. Um, no, a tornado came through my neighborhood, and I I you know I remember praying in the tornado and asked my parents. Uh, about what prayer was, and they explained to me about a relationship with Christ, and I prayed to receive Christ at you know age, the age of eight. And I really was a different person. Like, it was a real thing. And, however, my understanding of Christianity was um, you ask Jesus to save you from your sins, you tell other people about Jesus, and then you just try really, really hard. And so I, um, I have, have very much lived in a performance-oriented world, as, a, as an eight year old kid, I think I did two swim practices. In the summer, I did two swim practices a day, baseball practice, hitting coach, and golf clinic, you know, f- five different sports practices a day. So that's the world that I lived in. And my religious experience just reinforced that because generally, uh, whether it was in parachurch ministry or in Sunday school, generally what I heard was try hard for God. Uh, and it was generally, you know, the gospel was. That's, that's what gets you into heaven. But it had absolutely no ramifications or relevance to me as a Christian. And so I, I was a just performance addict. I was an uh, honest-to-goodness Christian, you know, attending church, um, cared about Jesus. But um, my, my, my whole worldview was, was based in performance. And so to give you a snapshot of that, my senior year of high school, I took five AP classes. I taught myself an additional AP class. I was the vice president of the student body, the vice president of the honor society. I was on the state board of the key club. I wrote for the newspaper staff and I swam six days a week for about three hours a day at a competitive level. I never slept. And, you know, my whole life was geared towards um, getting into a good college.
0: I just, so no, I, that, I just need to tell you right here, Jason and I didn't like you. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, if it makes you feel better deep down inside, I didn't like me either. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, just, I remember guys like you, and I'm thinking, where did these people come from? Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Oh. So anyhow, so that, that you know, that um, performance-based mentality, which I said was just reinforced by my, what I heard in church, um, was just continued into into college. I finished college in three years um, and then I uh, continued into graduate school. I did a master's degree during my senior year of college. And during my graduate degree, I started to have trouble with short-term memory loss. And I, um, I just I was forgetting what I was talking about a lot. I was losing my keys all the time. I was going up. I'd like go upstairs and forget why I went upstairs. And so I went to go see a counselor and I, you know, told him what was going on. And he said, you, know, you really need to slow down. Your pace is, uh, is over the top. And he said, come back, and, do, and I'll teach you how to do some decompression exercises. And I kind of nodded, politely walked out the door, and I was like, whatever. <laughs> that, uh, that dude's a loser. I was born to win, and I'm not slowing down. And so as part of my uh, graduate fellowship, I had to teach high school in the inner city. So I went to go teach high school in the inner city, and um, the, wheels, uh, the wheels really started to come off of my life. Like I, I couldn't really sleep at night. I had racing thoughts. I had this phobic dread of going to the, going to the school in the morning, and um, I could kind of pull off school, but I, was, I, I was almost felt like I was going crazy. So I called my pastor, and I said, um, you yeah, know, I, 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 need, I need to get together. And so I told him the full inventory of what was going on. He said, man, you, you've got two problems. Um, the lesser of the two problems is that you are showing all the precursory signs of someone who's about to have a nervous breakdown. Uh, he said, I think if you continue, uh, if you finish this year and continue as a teacher, you're probably going to end up institutionalized. He said, The bigger problem is that you, you don't know the gospel. And he said, I don't doubt that you're a Christian. I think you're genuinely a Christian, but the gospel is rest. The gospel means that Jesus carries the burden of your life. And the gospel means that you'll never have to prove yourself again. And he said, Best I can tell, your entire life is dedicated to performing impressing people and proving yourself all the time he said jesus proved you on the cross you don't have to do that anymore and so he said you really need to think about quitting your job and at first um i was hostile to this idea because that would mean failing and i did not have a category for that uh, but then i started it's like the whole holy spirit came over me and i i started to realize that i was so miserable um, i was so unhappy i felt trapped on a treadmill and this this notion that the gospel Is freedom and rest. It just is not something I'd really ever heard before. Um, In fact, when I was in graduate school, I was doing a paper and the word grace was in the paper. And even though I'd grown up in church, I had to look up what the word grace meant in the dictionary as a 21 year old. And so, you know, after after that meeting, um, I had a panic attack two days later where I lost the ability to speak for about four weeks. I could I could stutter, I could, you know, write on a whiteboard, but I couldn't really talk and I couldn't really read for about two months. And so I had some pretty, you know, significant depression and anxiety issues that had to be treated and I had to quit my job and move home with my parents. So I had that going on. I was deeply depressed, but I had the sense of joy, the sense of freedom and the sense of like appreciation of the gospel that I'd never had before because I had started I learned that the gospel applied to me, um, it applied to me as a Christian, not just me to get me into heaven. Like, uh, me, my sanctification, my maturation as a Christian, uh, was largely driven by deepening in that basic gospel message that I'm a sinner who needs God's grace. And through Christ, I am loved perfectly apart from my performance. And so, uh, a big part of what, um, what motivates me in my ministry in my local church, but also with rooted, is knowing that I think it's a norm for most kids that they they really don't necessarily know what the gospel is in its fullness. Um, they may know the gospel as pray a prayer to get into heaven, which is that's part of it certainly, but um, but they don't know the gospel as you know you are loved apart from your performance through Christ, and that. You know that forms a deep love and appreciation for Jesus that sanctifies you and changes you. So I want kids, and I also too, like I had what every in, in a suburban context, probably in most contexts, what every parent would want their kid to be. Uh, and I had everything that I thought was satisfying, with like a great resume and going to a impressive college and all these kinds of things. But I was so so unhappy. Um, and so, I, I, you know, the joy and the life in Christ that I've known after coming to know the fullness of the gospel for me as a Christian has just been totally life-changing.
0: Fast forward now, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your story, you're married, you have a family. Talk about what happened. 2014, right? Uh,
1: yeah, the, the end of 2013.
0: 2013. Um,
1: yeah, so this is kind of the second part of what motivates you know my ministry. First, like I said, is that kids would know the gospel of grace. Um, but secondly, you know I uh, as a youth pastor, I kind of lived with this fear that you know maybe i maybe I believe in God's goodness and I believe in Christ because I mean, look at my life. you know i'm uh, I'm a white American male who grew up in a family that was financially comfortable with Christian parents who loved me. I had friends. School came easy, sports came easy. Like of course, if you're me, uh, you would believe that God is good and all these promises of, of Jesus Christ. So I had this fear that something bad would happen, and uh, that I could not withstand, and that I would lose my faith. Um, and the you know the thing I would always come down to was, oh, my, if my child Cameron if he died, um, then I don't think I could I don't think I could handle that. And so. Um, I, uh, it was Sunday, November the 10th and we come in from church and my little boy uh, had lost his Lego ax. And he said, can we ask Jesus to find my Lego ax? And, um, he's, he's three, he's three years old. And I said, sure, buddy. So we pray and, and we find the Lego ax and he goes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so then he starts to ask all these questions. He says, you know, can we go see Jesus? And I'm like, well, you know, buddy, you, you we can't go see Jesus. He's here. You just can't see him. He said, well, um, can we get in the car and go see Jesus? And I said, well, honey, you're going to see Jesus, like, you're going to see him when you get to heaven. But until then, you know, we have to just know and trust that he is here with us through the Holy Spirit. And then he started to ask all these questions about heaven. He said, um, you know, am I going to see Adam and Eve in heaven? If you can't tell, this is the child of a of a pastor. Then that's your clue. Yeah. <laughs> but um, well. I said, well, yeah, you know, God for uh, God forgives their sins in Genesis three, and yeah, there I, I do believe that they're in heaven. He said, "Well, I'm not going to eat from that tree," and uh, and we're like, "Well, honey, everyone eats from the tree. You know, that's why Jesus came," and he said, "You know, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died for my sins." And that was really the last conversation I ever had with him. Uh, that night I went on a youth camp out with um, went on a youth camp out with some seniors. The next morning I had like four missed calls from my wife at 7:30 in the morning and my wife, you know, informed me that she had found him dead in his bed. Uh, it's extremely rare that that will happen that a child over the age of 1 will die in their sleep, but he was the one in 100,000. And so, you know, this was a moment that I had kind of uh, rehearsed in my mind, like, in my, you know, in my kind of worst nightmares. I'd seen this something like this happening, and then I, I lose my faith, and I walk away from the Lord, and I leave all these students that I've proclaimed the promises of God. Uh, I leave them high and dry as a, as a Christian fraud. And it just was, like, stunning what came out of my mouth. I, I said to my wife, First thing was, Lauren. Jesus rose. From, Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, that means God is good, and this doesn't change that. And so I started to see in that moment, but also in the month after that, I was constantly saying, um, saying things like, "Lauren, I have no idea how someone could survive something like this if they didn't know the sovereignty of God, or didn't know about the empathy of Christ, or didn't know about the presence of God, or didn't have a hope of the second coming and a hope of heaven." Or, and I just kept on listing all these doctrines. And what I came to find was that the Lord uh, had prepared me theologically to suffer. Uh, when my worst nightmare occurred uh, and it didn't feel like God was good existentially, I knew intellectually I had I had biblical truth to cling to that reminded me that the, that the Lord was in control, the Lord was good, the Lord was with me, and um, and you know, Lamentations three twenty one kind of became a, a, a critical verse. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases; His mercies never fail. And and so it was this idea of like I was having to draw from a doctrinal base and remember who God was, and that gave me hope to sustain me in what was, you know, my worst nightmare. So, you know, the second you know, in the second story and you know, how that informs ministry both in my church and with rooted. Um, first, you know, I have the great comfort that my child professed faith in Jesus. You know, the last thing I heard my son say was Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died for my sins. And so I, ha- I live with this certain hope that I'm going to see my child in heaven. And I, I think that, you know, it's not necessarily p- key, p- you know, politically correct. And, and sometimes people get, want to get too cool or too sophisticated for, you know, evangelism. And like leading kids to, you know, saving faith in Jesus. But like, man, it's the greatest thing the Lord has ever given me beyond my own salvation, is that my I know that my child knew Jesus as his savior. And so that's a part of that's a part of my motivation. A second part is I know that every person is going to go through something really, really bad like I went through. I mean, they may not lose a child, but it could be that they struggle with infertility or they lose a a spouse or uh, they have a broken engagement or they're in a bad car accident or they're diagnosed with type one diabetes. Like everyone is going to suffer. There's no, uh, there's no escaping the buzzsaw of life. And I feel a responsibility because the Lord was so gracious to prepare me to suffer. I feel a responsibility to prepare kids to suffer by giving them a deep, uh, well-grounded biblical worldview so that when um, when that day of darkness comes, they have something—they uh, have something to draw from that's true, that's based in Scripture, so that they will remember who God is, and they'll remember the redemptive narrative that they live under um, as a believer. So, so this conversation of deep youth ministry um, is is dear to my heart for for those reasons.
0: Mm. Thanks for sharing, that. You said something. Uh, I wrote this down. The Lord has prepared. The Lord had prepared me theologically to suffer, and and I do want to talk more about that when we come back from the break. I, I'll just ask you this question before we break. You know, Cameron, as you as you re, rewind five years, all right, go, go 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 back five years to everything that's happened since. I'll just ask this. I didn't ask you this before, but is there anything you would change? about the path God has led you on, you know?
1: No, nothing, not at all. I know that sounds like a sick, sadistic statement. No, I don't, I don't, um, you know, I'm not glad that my child died, but like as the old hymn says, like whatever my God ordains is right. Yep. Um, And, uh, you know, yeah, this is a wound. um, This is a wound that, you know, I'll carry for the rest of my life on earth. And I know that God intended this. Uh, and I know that everything that he intends is for his glory. So given what Christ has done for me, um, if I can, uh, if, you know, my child's, if my tragedy and my child's death, um, if it reveals the glory of Jesus, if it brings people to saving faith in Christ, if, um, if it deepens my appreciation for God as someone who lost a child violently then as as sick as this may sound like i wouldn't change anything and it's all worth it it's all worth it given what like god has given to me in christ so yeah. that's that's my honest that that's honestly what i say
0: and, and i knew you'd answer that way that's why i asked that question and you know everybody i know i'll just say it this way and there's a message here for youth workers that I want youth workers to hear. There's a message here for individuals that I want them to hear. There's a message here for parents that I want them to hear that as we conversed at, you know, a month ago over lunch in Birmingham, you, you had said something, I'll paraphrase, that sounds a lot like what I say, you know, to my own kids, fill the well of your life with God's Word. Fill the well of your life with God's Word because someday— and you don't know when, you don't know how. You you are really going to have to draw deeply from it. And, you know, when you finished telling me that story about your little guy, you, the, one of the things I remembered was you basically said it was, I was so glad that I had been taken deep into the Scriptures. I went deep into the Scriptures because that's what I drew from. That's all you had. And I, I just was really struck by that so and that's what what is behind this so so we're having a conversation here about deeper youth ministry and we're going to draw a couple other guys into this when we come back from the break we're talking to cameron cole from the rooted group and the rooted conference and the rooted movement and i i thanks cameron for sharing that because you know great movements come out of um stories and and i think those stories are usually great stories of difficulty and suffering and god uses god steps in and and is is faithful to his promises and brings redemption out of that and as you said you know god will be glorified in this so we'll take a break and we'll be right back Here at CPYU, we want to help you help parents stay up-to-date on today's youth culture. One of our most popular resources is our monthly parent page. This four-page, full-color resource offers parents a timely, practical look into current youth culture trends, along with resources to help them parent their children and teens Christianly in today's rapidly changing youth culture. If you're a youth worker who would like to get this monthly resource into the hands of your parents, you can see a sample parent page and learn more by visiting cpyuparentpage.com Well, we're talking about youth ministry that goes deeper, the need to go deep with our students, to take them deep into the Scriptures and instruct them theologically. And, of course, to be able to do that, we need to be there ourselves. You know, we've, we've got to be youth workers. We've got to be parents. I mean, we can't take them deeper than we are. And Cameron Cole is here. Uh, Cameron started, told a little bit of his story uh, before the break, and then has started the Rooted movement. Cameron, tell us a little bit about that, specifically what you guys are doing through Rooted and how people sure. can tap into that. That'll frame the rest of our conversation here.
2: Yeah.
1: So with Rooted, you know, our, our mindset is we think that the purpose of youth ministry is is to form kids who have lasting faith in Jesus. You know, quite biblically speaking, to make disciples. And so we think, based on what uh, Scripture prescribes as a philosophy of ministry for for investing in kids, and what research indicates has been effective, um, we promote something called gospel-centered youth ministry as an approach um, as an approach to uh, you know youth ministry and ministering to children. So. You know, are are the tenets of of gospel-centered youth ministry are gospel centrality. I think, you know, if nothing else, every kid, when they finish at a church, knows the basic gospel of grace. Theological depth through biblical teaching. So, uh, you know, we want to, like we've talked about earlier, we want kids to have, you know, a deep biblical worldview that comes from just teaching the Bible in an expository manner. Uh, Relational discipleship. You can teach kids all the doctrine in the world, but it doesn't matter uh, and it's useless if they don't have people who are mentoring them and investing in their lives to help them know what it means to actually follow Jesus. Uh, four, invest in parents, um, partner with parents so that it's a cooperation between the church and parents um, to um, uh, you know to, to spiritually lead their, their kids. And then five, um, intergenerational integration. Basically inter- integrating kids into the church um, so that they're, they have relationships with the many generations and also um, teaching kids about church membership by helping them become contributors in a church as early as possible, um, treating them like real people, real Christians, taking them seriously and giving them as much responsibility as possible. So, you know, that's, that's the philosophy of ministry that we, uh, that we promote. And so in a sense, what we're saying is, um, you know, w- what we kind of learned from research uh, from the research about previous generation of youth ministry is that entertainment and moralism and, you know, emotionally based youth ministry is not effective in making disciples. Like what kids really need is first they need to know the gospel. Um, they need uh, we need to take their spiritual lives seriously and, and teach them the Bible so that they have so they have a solid theological base. Um, and we need to help for, help form them into disciples, um, teach them what it means to follow Jesus in their lives. Uh, and we do this as a church as a whole and with parents. We don't just you know do this as a youth ministry. So you know one, you can kind of one thing that's kind of um, I, I think kind of cool about the ministry is the way we run a conference is the way that we think ministry should be done in a church. Um, you know our our conference, um which our conference last year was in Dallas, and our conference this coming year is in Nashville. Um, but our our conference is basically we have really good, Biblical teaching and really good gospel proclamation. Um, there's, uh, there's, you know, there's good music, um, but there's a lot of good relationships and good community. And it's not, it's pretty Spartan. Like it's, it's not. Um, there's not much production. Um, we just kind of, and you know, we we kind of think that, uh, you know, in youth ministries that, you know, the world, um, the world can clobber us when it comes to entertainment. We can't beat the world in entertainment, but we can crush the world on hope, on meaning, on joy, life, peace. Like we, through Christ, we own the market on that. And so we want to put that as our best foot forward um, and, you know, and winning kids for Christ and helping make disciples. So, um, so yeah, you know, we think people come to our conference, the things that they like are, they hear the refreshing message of God's grace for sinners they, they really like the kind of biblical teaching and preaching, and they like the relationships that just inherently come when you're in a gospel-drenched environment, in which people tend to be vulnerable. No one tends to be kind of trying to impress one another. It just, you know, the, the gospel really uh, helps us to be transparent and real.
0: Yeah. So I've attended, you know, in 40 years of youth ministry. Man, I can't believe I'm saying that. But in 40 <laughs> years of youth ministry, I've attended— Oh, man, it's probably hundreds of conferences, spoken at hundreds of conferences. I've learned a lot. I've had incredible experiences. I've been equipped in some some really great ways. And then in October, I come to the Rooted Conference, and I'm struck in many ways by, I like the way you say it, Spartan, um, Christ-centered, biblical, gospel-centered teaching, uh, preaching, really, in those main sessions You're not drowned out with the music. It's not performance. It's participatory. Um, And I have to say, you know, experientially, and I told Jason this, you know, when I came back, I talked about it. In fact, I may have even been texting him or chatting with him while I was there that it was, the word I used was absolutely refreshing. And I told my wife as well that it was the way it used to be before all the noise, and so it was really freeing. It was equipping. It was challenging. It was encouraging. I mean, it was really beautiful, and I mean that. I sincerely mean that. As someone who's had forty years of doing this, and I think what you guys have done is you've centered back on what we need to be centered on. And so I'll just say that. I mean, I am. Praise I'm, God. Yeah, I really, I really mean that. And and so it was a joy to be there too. With Mike McGarry, we're going to bring into the conversation now. Mike's up in New England. Um, Mike, I'm failing to remember exactly which city you're in. You're west of Boston.
3: Yeah, we're we're south. Um, we're south of Boston, oh, so south, okay. I literally I literally take a different route to church on what when the Patriots have a home game. So I drive through Foxborough uh, pretty much every day. Uh, drive by the the stadium of the greatest team on earth uh re- regularly and um
0: no you're not to be yeah, trusted so, now with anything I you think... say after that
2: <laughs> walt might say the second greatest team on earth but
3: hey you know what any given sunday yeah. <laughs> so you, you got you guys won you guys won the game that's very you guys true. won the game he's you know, getting no ready he's
0: getting ready to tell us he drives by no there because he stops you there the and game. that's where he has church right <laughs> <laughs> so yeah
3: so we're in the foxborough area no one knows the towns around us um but we're in the Fox. I live in the Foxborough
0: area. And your church. T- talk a little bit. A yeah. little bit about so. your church, and tell us. And Mike was one of our doctoral <laughs> students at Gordon Conwell, and he actually, as I listen to Cameron talk about what Rooted is and the basic um, core commitments of Rooted, Mike's project, Mike's Mike's yeah. writing. You know, as he was with us, really centered on that as he struggled through how to make this. You know, struggle through trying to find answers and practical ways to make this happen. So, talk about that too, Mike.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, I've been the the um, the pastor of youth and families uh, at my church, uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Norfolk, Mass. Uh, not Norfolk, Virginia. We get confused all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, up in Massachusetts, I've been there for 13 years, like Cameron. Um, so, I, I think in uh, some ways, uh, our our Youth ministry um, is kind of collided together in some ways. In that, uh, while Mm. I was working through uh, my doctorate uh, studies with you, Walt, and Duffy, and and Adonis up at Gordon Conwell, uh, it's a great program. I highly recommend it to people all the time. Um, But as as I was discovering um, that, uh, so I I was never um, leading a gospel absent ministry, uh, but uh, it was a gospel-present ministry, and I was thinking that it was gospel-centered. And as I was mm-hmm. thinking through um, the the implications of the gospel beyond simply preaching the gospel and calling kids to faith and repentance on occasion uh, and thinking, well, if the gospel really is central to everything we do, then it should be more than an occasional series that I'm teaching in youth group. What are the bigger implications of the gospel and um, that, that doctorate program, Walt, really um, shaped that a lot for me, and uh, Cameron and I <laughs> met each other on the interwebs. <laughs>
1: Match.com.
3: Yeah, yeah, I know, right, and uh, so we just connected over blogging about similar uh, gospel-centered ministry stuff and kind of hammering this out and figuring it out together, and uh, we actually only met in person a couple of years ago, uh, <laughs> and I think the first thing that Uh, Cameron said to me was, you're a real person, Uh, because we had talked on the phone so much and emailed and this and that, Um, so I just, I love Rooted, and um, it it really has been incredibly uh, formative for me personally, Uh, so between Rooted and the the doctorate program up at Gordon Conwell um, and Walt and Duffy Adonis, um, it really has been a a shift towards uh, gospel centrality uh, from gospel present. Ministry and um, kind of working out the implications for that, and uh, still, still learning for sure. Um, it's been a it's been a great, um, great transition, and uh, so thankful for for what rooted and CPYU provide.
0: So, for a youth worker who who need who identifies the need to make that shift, what are some specific steps you took there at the church beyond things you know you've you've mentioned some some of what you've done, but what did you? Yeah. I mean,
3: yeah. I, yeah, I, I heard most of your question. Um, I think most of, most of it would be working through, um, how does <sighs> the, the, the gospel is more than justification, mm-hmm. Right that um, the gospel is a four chapter gospel of creation fall redemption glorification um, how how does that infuse um, everything that that we do in our ministry everything that we do in our church um, how am how am i playing the long game with my students for long-term discipleship or am i interested in having short-term attendance spikes
0: yeah, and you've lamented a lot of that. We've had, we what are like, my
3: drawing students with? Yeah. We, yeah,
0: we we had some great conversations with that cohort you were in about these very issues, and you know wrestling through some of these things because we see the realities in youth ministry. So, yeah, and I always appreciated your input there, Mike, because you would one of the marks of you uh, in terms of someone who's a practitioner is you would always default first uh, to the theological. To the scriptural as opposed yeah. to jumping to the practical, which I hear a lot in youth ministry, well, it, it's working. We must be doing something right. But the standard by which we say it's working, I'm not too sure. It's working in the immediate because there's kids there. We're facing, you know, we're sitting across from kids, but is it working in the long term? So yeah. let, let, me, let me hop over to Kevin. And before we hop to Kevin, you know, a couple of things that Cameron said, you know, lasting faith in Jesus. And then I, I think that automatically leads me to think about the research that we're seeing and we're hearing on transition to college, youth workers, uh, parents lamenting, pastors lamenting. I've got these kids who have grown up in Christian families. They've been in the youth group. They've been in the church. They go off to college, and they seemingly push the pause button or in a, even in a worst-case scenario— Uh, the stop button on their faith and they just they just tank. They just jump into the cultural narrative for what the university years or or the post high school experience if they don't go to college, what that's supposed to be. And then we see the research from Christian Smith that came out about ten years ago with the National Study of Youth and Religion, which talks about, you know, he wrote the book Soul Searching, and we talked a lot about this, Mike. Moralistic therapeutic deism, that's the shape of faith among young people in America, plus old people as well. Moralistic, just be a good person, therapeutic, I have to feel good, which really, that flies totally in the face of what the Scripture says, and Cameron shared this, about a theology of suffering and the suffering that's inevitable and redemptive suffering, you know, difficult providences, which is how God grows us, and then uh, deism, moralistic therapeutic deism, um, that if all I have, to, if all, if my goal in life is to feel good, God's there to serve me, to help me feel good. So when I hit difficulty, He's there. I snap my fingers, you know, and He gets me out of it. So, you guys are pushing back on that, Kevin. You're in California. Tell us a little about a little bit about your ministry and what you're working to do. You know, very practically, how this works out in your ministry there with Korean American students in your church.
4: Yeah, so I serve at a Korean church uh, in Northridge, California, which is actually 20 minutes north of Los Angeles. And I've been there for about 15 years as a pastor, 16 years. Uh, I started um, attending there. Um, I initially came in as a junior high pastor for eight years, been doing the last seven years uh, with the high school students there. And um, I totally resonate with uh, Cameron's story in that I thought that the gospel was just what you present to students at the beginning. Once you kind of get them on board, (laughs) the idea is you have to give them all the rules and regulations about how they're supposed to live, because that's very much the uh, environment that I grew up in, Uh, and it was actually that statistic. You you hear anywhere between 70 and 80 percent of high school seniors who are involved in youth groups when they go to college, halfway in the year, they usually drop off, and I remember Uh, being asked to split the youth ministry and start the junior high group. We were a growing church. It was very, very exciting in the beginning. And I remember just praying to God, you know, if I do this, God, it's going to be with the intention that I'm going to be the one to make sure that I'm going to stop that statistic from happening. And uh, taking those first students through uh, the junior high ministry, having them go to high school and then go to college and following up with them and discovering that, you know, I really didn't beat the statistic at all. Um, and really doing some soul searching there. Um, I had like a midlife crisis five years into ministry, um, really questioning why wasn't the things that I was doing working because when the students were with me, they were happy. Um, they were obedient, which is actually a, a big deal in the Asian American context. <laughs> um, and they love coming to church, but I realized one of the things that I was doing was I was pointing them to me and I was pointing them to our ministry. And to our church, but I wasn't pointing them to Jesus. And so when they left our church and they left our ministry and they left me, they couldn't find that where they were going. They couldn't find Youth Group 2.0. And so for a lot of them, it wasn't worth it anymore. Um, because, again, it was very shallow. We hadn't really given them the the depth that they had needed to be able to survive their, their college years. And so uh, we made a big shift about a decade ago and really just been hammering the gospel, recognizing that it's, uh, I think Tim Keller says, it's not the ABCs of the Christian life, but it really is the A through Z of the Christian life. Um, and so it was tough um, the first three years of transitioning from going from just really uh, 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 entertainment-driven, uh, um, program-driven to really uh, opening up God's Word and actually going into a more of a rela- relational discipleship model um that's been that was really tough in the beginning because it just wasn't something people were used to um and so moving forward and having done youth ministry like that for now the decade um it's the best part of my job is to see students come back from college uh who are thriving who have found uh like-minded churches to attend um that's been the great blessing and see them actually now returning and serving uh, alongside me as teachers and volunteers and as staff has been uh, super wonderful.
0: Kevin, what what does your youth group look like when you guys meet? You know, what's a typical, typical meeting? How does it flesh out when you guys are together, when you have your students?
4: So we do our Bible studies uh, on Friday nights, and we have our own services on Sundays. So because we're a Korean American church, um, everybody is kind of siloed in their own department. So definitely intergenerational ministry is difficult for us because of the language and culture barriers. Um, and over the years, you know, we've really tried and we've really struggled through how do we bring together families and how do we bring together um, people of, of all different ages. And so one of the things we've we've tried to do is uh, welcome parents into our ministry as volunteers, as staff. And again, it's a language barrier thing that makes it really, really difficult for a lot of parents to volunteer. Uh, but we do have a lot of parent teachers and staff who serve as Bible study leaders. So that's been very refreshing for us. Um, and to really provide an environment where they feel like they are you know, leaders. Uh, they may say that they're kind of disconnected in regards to culture, but in terms of the relationship, they're really, really good about it. And so we have a healthy blend of you know college students, uh, young adults, and um, parents of youth students who are serving alongside us. I know that's a struggle for a lot of, Uh, youth ministries, but we've really, really prayed about that and really asked God to bring in intergenerational ministry to where we are, knowing that the structure of our church can't really support that. Um, But in regards to how we are doing that well, well, number one, we are word-centered in everything that we do. Um, Our Bible studies uh, generally tend to be um, exorcological studies through books. Uh, We are trying to introduce to the students, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, um, Christ through all the scriptures. um, And the number one thing really has been, how are we shaping them? What are the practices that we're doing at church? And recognizing that that's probably the most formative thing for them. And so everything that we do, we are super intentional about making sure that um, that what we're doing in and of itself is actually theologically telling them or teaching them something about God. So from the worship service, from the way that we design the worship service, uh, actually, I um, just am coming off a a month-long sabbatical in the month of February. I had a chance to visit um, four different churches uh, over the four weeks, and I realized everything you do communicates something about God. Mm -hmm. And so for us, like coming off of that, it's it's even more of a conviction that we need to be careful about how we're doing things, what we're saying to the students, because it communicates something about uh, the gospel itself and uh, just being really mindful of that.
0: Or or miscommunicates, perhaps, huh?
4: Yes, definitely, definitely. So yeah,
0: definitely noticed a lot of our weaknesses
4: in the last four weeks, especially when it comes to things like welcoming newcomers. When you're new at church, everything is scary. And so um, just recognizing some of our weaknesses in our ministry there, but definitely, yeah. Um, So from the way that we do our offering time, from the way that... Uh, We've been doing catechism now for about the last two years, I would say. Um, That's been something I've been inspired by Cameron there. Um, So we've been doing catechism. And again, we get questions about that stuff because I don't think a lot of the the groups in our area are doing things like that. And so it's been great to have conversations with parents about why we're doing the things that we're doing. So that's been actually helpful, too.
0: Hmm. This is good. This is really good. We need to take a break. And when I come back, or when we come back, excuse me, when we come back, we're all going to come back. um, I want to ask you about that. You talked about catechism, and so I want to come to the three of you. You know, um, I've got five grandchildren. They're all age four and under. Jason has three children. And, you know, we're interested. I I want to know, how do we overcome the deficiencies that we've had in youth ministry, the way that perhaps we miscommunicated who God is or— miscommunicated the gospel and what the gospel means for life. And I want to come back to to um, what you guys have learned, and I know you're, you're still all in process, uh, but what you've learned about how to teach the gospel, how to teach biblical truth, and then maybe just from your own experience, what do we need to avoid? Maybe you can look back and we all do this, right? We look back, we go, oh, man, I wish I wasn't doing this. Kevin, you're sabbatical. You look back, and you're going to make some readjustments. Mike, you've done it. Cameron, you've done it. Jason and I have done it. You know, what do we need to avoid in youth ministry? Issue some wisdom from what you've learned and some adjustments you've made. So we'll come back, talk to Cameron, talk to Mike, talk to Kevin about youth ministry and going deeper. Stick with us. I'm very excited to tell you about a new resource we've just launched here at CPYU. Just Add Parents is a series of ready-to-use parent meetings that feature three 10-minute video teaching segments, each followed by a time for guided small group discussion. Youth workers, Just Add Parents is perfect for use in your parent meeting or a parent class. The teaching content is not only designed to inform parents regarding pressing cultural issues, but to equip them to respond to these unfolding realities in a gospel-centered, practical manner, all with the goal of helping you help parents lead their children into believing and behaving Christianly in today's rapidly changing culture. Each Just Add Parents parents meeting includes video teaching segments, PDFs of discussion questions, and other handouts. You can order Just Add Parents as either a download or on a thumb drive. I'm happy to announce that the first installment in the Just Add Parents parent meeting series is now available and it's titled Tech Sensible Parenting. If you want to help your parents understand and respond proactively to kids and technology with a Just Add Parents parent meeting, you can learn more on our website at cpyu.org.
2: Welcome back to Youth Culture Matters. We're here with Kevin, Cameron, and Mike talking about Rooted Youth Ministry. And before uh, we went to break, we were having a conversation about the way in which Kevin had stepped into the Rooted Youth Ministry structure, if you will. And and, and I love how, Kevin, uh, you talked about the transition from a me-focused to a gospel-focused ministry. I, I'm just curious, uh, for those that might be listening, and they are... Hearing what was shared in our first segment uh, that Cameron had shared about what rooted is with regards to gospel centrality, theological depth, relational discipleship, uh, investing in parents in an intergenerational ministry, I'm just wondering what the three of you would say would be some good practical steps uh, to move from uh, a ministry that is incur- that, that that someone that's listening currently has to more of a rooted, uh, structure
1: sure um, and, and maybe maybe we can even talk about it in terms of those five pillars of youth ministry that we recommend um, I, I was, I'll start I'll, I'll talk about gospel centrality um, you know I had my first Bible study uh, my first Bible study and I had these guys for like three years and I can remember the last Bible study of their senior year they're getting ready to graduate and I said guys what is the gospel And no one had an answer, crickets, crickets. And I I mean, I knew that they, you know, if asked, you know, does God love you in spite of your performance? I knew they would know that. But in terms of being able to, you know, actually define the gospel, they couldn't do it. And I, you know, there was a a November 2014 article where Kara Powell uh, from Fuller Youth Institute was asked, you know, what is, what would you say is the strongest indicator of whether a kid will stick with Christ and the church or not? And she said, you know, their level of clarity on grace, mobile creating the gospel of grace. And so I, from there just started every Bible study asking kids, just basically made up a little catechism. Hey guys, what is, what does gospel mean? And they'd say, good news. What's the good news? Uh, What's the good news for me? You know, Christ has died for my sins. God loves sinners through Christ. What's the good news for the world? Christ is King. And we do that every, every week. Um, Just, just, uh, it's kind of like an informal catechism. Um, just so that, that you know, they're, if nothing else, if we get nothing else right, our kids, whether they believe it or not, are going to leave our church knowing that the fundamental message of Christianity is God's unconditional love for flawed people through Christ. Hmm.
2: That's great. And what about then, you other what guys? What about theological? What, what were you going to say? Why? I was going
0: to say, what about the other guys? I love that question you asked. I really want to hear what they say in answer to that, Mike and Kevin.
3: Yeah, I mean, for me, one of the questions that I've had to um, keep in front of us is uh, just the basic question that seems like such a no brainer, but does our youth ministry look like our church, um, or are we trying to be cooler than our church? Um, Do the things that we do line up with the things that our church is doing so that, um, you know, we're not training our students? to think that youth group is where it's at. Um, but once you graduate, um, then, Oh, sorry guys. Then you need to go to church. Um, you know, Mm uh, and and what are we, what are we feeding our kids? Um, you know, and I, I think there's this tendency in youth ministry to minimize theology. Um, and I mean, frankly, uh, the closest I ever got to be getting fired, uh, in my 13 years was after uh, trying to start a Bible study, talking about the Trinity. Um, and there were, you know, parents who, who said, um, my, my junior higher does not need to understand the Trinity. And I just about died. Um, you know, and, and so obviously I'm still here. And my, my, my <laughs> elders and, and pastors backed me up and said, no, actually that is the heart of everything it means to be a Christian, um, but. There's this this thought that youth ministry just needs to talk about sexual purity and yeah. help our kids, um, you know, feel good and, and be loved, and uh, while all this stuff is, is, so Jason, I see you kind of like, ah, oh, don't kill me like that, right? But it's like if that's all we ever talk about in youth group, and if that's all that parents want us to talk about in youth group, um, yeah. but we never talk about. Theology and how does our doctrine of God inform how we talk about sexual purity and how we talk about peer yes. pressure and how we talk about friendship, you know? And, and we we divorce our theology from our practice, and we need to have things integrated, you know. Yeah.
1: yeah can, if cool. I might add something, we're talking about we're talking about you know teaching theology. I think one thing i would say to clarify is no one's uh, no one at least on this podcast i don't think is pulling out clowny, systematic theology and just walking through yeah you know walking through doctrines <laughs> i think you know and, and i mean i know a lot of youth pastors don't have any the- i didn't have any theological education when i started in youth ministry and you're kind of thinking like oh goodness like oh i need to be talking about all this doctrinal stuff and i, I don't even know it myself if you just teach the bible mm-hmm. you know if you just work through books you're going to teach all the theology you'll ever need to teach if you, just, if you teach the Bible, because it's going to tell you who God is. It's going to tell you about the redemptive narrative. It's going to tell you about the gospel. It's going to tell you about the Trinity, all these kinds of things. So, I mean, I think just speaking very practically, just the discipline of working through entire books of the Bible from beginning to end, even mm-hmm. if that's small books, like you're going to teach plenty of theology just by having expository Bible studies.
3: Yeah. And I think, too, um, I think a lot of us are functional Unitarians um, in that we we only talk about Jesus uh, because God is so big and generic that, you know, who doesn't believe in God nowadays? God can mean whatever you want. So we don't talk about God because, you know, that's what, you know, whoever else does. And talking about the Holy Spirit, well, we're not Pentecostals, so we don't do that. Uh, uh. So instead we just talk about Jesus. <laughs> um, and it's like, what? well— you know, so when I'm talking about the Trinity, this is what I'm talking about. You know, Do we talk about God? Do we talk about Jesus? Do we talk about the Holy Spirit? Um, or are we only talking about Jesus in an effort to be gospel-centered, but then we're really just teaching our kids to be functional Unitarians?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would just add, like, the, one of the...
2: Yeah, Kevin.
3: Well,
4: one of the big uh, eye-openers for me was actually when I first transitioned from junior high to high school, and seeing all the AP... Uh, classes that my students were taking and taking a look at their textbooks, seeing what they were learning in AP bio and AP chem and looking at that and then looking at what we were teaching in terms of our curriculum and thinking they can handle a lot more and just really kind of taking a couple steps back and thinking, why do I think that they can't handle more? And I realized I was shaped by, you know, my church experience where we had learned very little and it was really about, you know, just making sure everyone feels good afterwards. And so I think that's something that um, is something to keep in mind, that what they're handling at school and what our expectations are in terms of what they're able to learn in terms of even theological concepts, um, what they're learning at school, again, is going to be on a much higher level than in a lot of our churches.
0: Do we shortchange the the, um, cognitive abilities of kids to go deep in the Word in youth ministry?
4: I think they shortchange themselves. because they have uh, strange expectations about what they're supposed to be learning. But I think when we um, teach in a way where we're respecting, you know, what they're capable of, uh, I think students have a, really, they're they are adaptable, right? So they're good at adapting to that. Yeah. And so when we teach at a deeper level, I, I almost never have a student complain that it's too deep. If anything, they get excited because, you know, matching what they're learning at school
0: yeah let, let me jump in there because i want to uh and then jason i'll come back to you because i know you had a follow-up question but i wanted to ask kevin it, it was a good segue that talk i watched you give and you've got to send me the link to that again if we can post that if you're okay with that it, but you talk to kids about faith and culture and yeah i mean you were it, you were you were i this sounds horrible i mean you were you were talking to them you were You definitely had done your work theologically. You knew your audience. But you were, in effect, for about an hour there, right, lecturing them. And they were with you, right? I mean, they were. And I've seen this over and over and over again with kids. I think we we disrespect them in an effort to respect them. And when we dumb things down, well-intentioned but horribly misinformed. I think we're really doing a disservice. But that, just talk about that talk real quickly, what you tried to do with that. Yeah, so actually, um, I'm
4: a part-time youth pastor. I've been in uh, the animation industry for the last eight years. And so when it comes to uh, media and different things like that, um, I try to spend a lot of time. And again, this is also based on a lot of the stuff that Walt, you guys have been doing at CPYU. Uh, but just helping students themselves uh, be able to sort of exegete their own culture Uh, And so the talk kind of comes from helping the students understand uh, the music they're listening to, the things that they're watching on TV, the video games they're playing, social media. Uh, The forms themselves are actually forming them. So uh, it's not just entertainment for entertainment's sake, but it's actually doing something to you. And the worldview that you have oftentimes comes from... Uh, again, the media that you're involved with. So music is our culture's catechism, right? Uh, video is how our culture tells stories and how our culture actually gives values through those stories. Um, and then video games themselves are how you yourself are a part of the stories. And when we, when we talk about social media, we say you're the story. And so when you're the story, you're the sort of culmination of everything that our culture is talking about. And so when you look at your social media feed and you analyze it for yourself, Um, Are you, you know promoting the values of Christ or are you really a product of the world? And so helping our students to see that and the steps in which, you know, they've been indoctrinated or they've been um, Inculturated really uh, uh, That that's basically what the talk was about and so helping our students to understand that Uh, and you know We do it in interesting ways. Obviously when you're doing media You can show clips and things like that and so that helps to keep their attention Um, But really what it is is kind of peeling back the curtain on culture um, and helping our students kind of see what's behind it. And because I've been in the industry for so long, uh, really helping the students understand that this is also a business. And so when you look at how people profit from these things, you have a better understanding of how they're trying to reach you and what they're trying to do.
0: Mm. Jason, you were going to follow up with something. Well, I
2: think the only thing, it's an observation, and it's what we've, what I hear from the three of you. It's that um, when you start with the gospel, you actually accomplish many of the other four things that you've wanted to be able to accomplish in, uh, through this structure. Because as you dive into scripture, what's happening is your brain theological depth. It just is a natural occurrence mm-hmm. that, that happens as you're going uh, book by book. You're You're modeling what you find in scripture relationally. You're understanding the need to bring parents into the mix, but then also the intergenerational aspect, which, Mike, you brought up. I, I actually love the idea of how the youth group is looking similar to the church, so that way there's a transitional aspect. And I think, Mike, you were even the one that said earlier in the podcast that uh, we want to find ways to bring them into the fold much sooner. So how do we get them into leadership? How do we get them into the, the mix of the church? Uh, and so I, I, I think that what I hear is... is as, as you dive into sharing the gospel, there's, there's, there's just a natural occurrence that happens. And so I think this goes back. I think we were talking about this either at the break or right before we went to break. And Walt had brought this up. But um, how do you share the gospel? What are, the, what are some of the ways that you would uh, practically give in uh, sharing this, if you were someone that's listening or that you've done in your own youth ministry?
0: Yeah, maybe each of you have an answer to that give us one good pointer they're thinking uh,
1: on on how on how how we present the gospel
2: yeah how you how you have yeah. uh, structured your the conversations around uh, to be uh, gospel centric uh, so that that is at the center of everything that you do in the midst of the youth ministry
1: yeah I think um, well, I think in terms of like how, you know, uh, I have two thoughts on how the gospel kind of, you know, is the fabric of the culture of our youth ministry. You know, I, if, if we, um, you know, if we are constantly kind of being honest about our need and our sin and honest about how everything we have is a, is grace from the Lord, then it should naturally create a humility. Um, it should naturally create a humility. It should cre- uh, create a vulnerability. And so, I think we have found that uh, community in our youth group um, I think the things that our youth group is known for like in our community are that we have really really good community and fellowship um, the kids love the youth group because they feel really connected and that really is just because we talk about grace so much and that just breaks down walls and um, invites people into like honest real relationships and so I think um, I think that's you know one one part of it. Um, I think another part of just in talking about you know being gospel centered, I think a lot of times that that so people can think that just means offering a uh, a gospel invitation every week. Uh, but you know the gospel is is you know is narrow and that it is always pointed on Jesus, the life and the work of Jesus. um but it also is broad in that the benefits that flow out of the gospel, things like adoption, um things like union with Christ, um, justification, glorification, and the hope of heaven—that um, these are um, these are all part, rich parts of the gospel. And I think one thing that's um, that's maybe wise, and and also so that you can you want to be saying the same thing but saying it differently—that makes sense. Um, but just thinking about you know in your context, like what are what are parts of the gospel that really resonate? Uh, I think, you know, for k- kids who are in situations where they're a lot of single parents or where parents are distant, talking about adoption and how through Christ you are adopted um, as a child of God, I think that really is a powerful, powerful expression of the gospel to kids whose parents are aloof or parents are not there. Or if you're in a, you know, suburban context or Asian American context where performance is such a big deal, talking about justification, how you're loved apart from performance, that's, that's really big. Um, kids are super, super lonely um, this day and age because of social media, they're isolated. So talking about union with Christ and how you're one with Christ um, is, a, is a powerful thing. And anyhow, that's just some examples of how we can think contextually about uh, different ways to express the gospel that resonate with, with the hearts of
3: kids in the current climate.
0: Kevin or Mike, anything you want to add there?
3: Yeah, w- one of the things that, um, I keep in mind in my context and uh, while you can mock me for it um, is that up here the, the sports and the success that our sports teams have had um, in the last decade, um, it l- legitimately whether you you hate the Patriots or, or not, um, you know between the Patriots, the Celtics, the Red Sox, the Bruins, um, you know the, the, the sports success, um, really has bred a, um, a pressure to be excellent and perfect in everything you do. Mm. Um, additionally, uh, with all the, you know, um, you know, Harvard and, and BU and BC mm. and MIT mm. and uh, all these uh, high-end uh, educational institutions, uh, we have hospitals, Uh, that people fly to from all around the world uh, to see some of the world's best doctors here. Um, Just legitimately, um, ministry in the Boston, uh, greater Boston area, uh, there is this mentality uh, that gets trickled down to our kids uh, where um, you need to excel and your value is determined by how well you perform. Um, and just to say that the gospel, um, the gospel is for losers, mm. you know, and that uh, mm. you don't need to be perfect, you don't need to be the starter, you don't need to be the captain, you don't need to be the valedictorian, um, and to really hammer in on uh, Imago Dei, uh, on the image of God, uh, that we were all created in the image of God, um, and uh, as such, uh, we all have a certain matter of dignity and value, um, and that Christ is restoring that image uh, in us. That, that is the fruit of the gospel, is that God is making us more and more like himself. Um, and so I, I try to focus on, um, on, on these types of issues a, a lot with our students, and sometimes in explicit ways, sometimes in pretty subtle ways. Um, you know, but th- that's one thing that is pretty often um, on my mind when especially when I'm interacting with students who are unchurched kids in our community.
0: That's good. So that's really unique. You're you're contextualizing there. And I, I know that's the way it is. That's the way it is the further you go up into the northeast. I mean, that's fairly common down here, too. Um, and it's the further you go to the northeast, it gets that way. Kevin, you want a, a last word on this question, and then we'll turn the corner. I want to ask you guys one final question.
4: Yeah, I think the most the most important thing for me over the last decade in terms of being gospel-centered uh, actually has been to surround myself and to be in community with as many gospel-centered uh, pastors as well, because um, my default is just to revert back to performance, just constantly myself. And so mm. knowing that being around community and being around other pastors who uh, can see that in you and call that out, you know, when necessary. But also at the same time, the conversations that we have and just um, thinking through ministry together—I uh, would say that's the, the, probably for me been the best thing. Uh, just really surrounding myself with uh, other guys and girls who are really gospel-centered themselves, as Cameron talked about. He, like, just it breeds a humility um, that I constantly need, and so that's been really, really formative. Yeah.
0: Good. This is excellent, and I I will just spring off of that and say because I want to hear about rooted, and I want you to talk, Cameron, about the conference. But one of the things that you really recognize when you go to the conference is that it, the people that I heard may not be iconic in the world of youth ministry, but they should be central in our lives as people who can pour the gospel into our own lives, and really teach us and then we're able to transfer that in our ministries to our kids so talk about rooted and the conference and maybe a little info on it how we can learn about it for this coming year
1: sure yeah thanks Walt um well first off there will be this handsome fellow named Walt Mueller speaking so that that's really all you need to know right there
0: there's another one I mean another one that's handsome same name but handsome because that's not I don't get accused of that
1: yeah, no. Um, all right, We're going to be having our uh, eighth conference in Nashville this year, and uh, the the theme of the conference is going to be heaven. Um, and we talk about different aspects of the gospel in our conferences. So we've had a conference on adoption and one on um, reconciliation and incarnation, and we talked about hope and suffering a fair amount, and the gospel for in suffering. But uh, this year we're going to talk about heaven, and uh, one of the the keynotes is um, uh, Nancy Guthrie, mm. who is well known. She lost two children, and so I mean, talk about someone who has a real uh, a real deep knowledge and understanding or consciousness of heaven. You know, someone who has two children who lived there. So, yeah, all of the there will be eight plenary talks, and they will all be about heaven and how that in heaven and and the new heavens, the new earth and how that informs, um, youth ministry. I think it's a really, uh, it's, it's very hopeful for us, but I mean, our kids live in such a a instant gratification world and, um, where they, uh, you know, all they think about is this life, which is such a hopeless mentality. Um, and so, so yeah, so that's going to be the main theme. There will be about 24 different workshops, everything from, Um, uh, workshops on on preaching and teaching and how and scripture and uh, things about contextualization Uh, a lot of there'll be a lot of uh, different psychologists christian psychologists and counselors who will talk about understanding kids developmentally and how to speak to different hot button issues like gender we have someone coming in to talk about gender and um anyhow it's uh it's you know it draws a a real diversity of people We had people from 38 states and six countries last year and um, and it is, uh, I'll say last year, someone said to me, you know, one thing I really like about this conference is no one has told me how many people come to their youth group. No one has tried to sell me their curriculum. <laughs> and, and it's really just good Christian fellowship, uh, with great, with, especially in Nashville this year, it's going to be great music, indelible grace. Um, it's going to be one of the, the lead acts for the music. And, um, it's just really refreshing, um, uh, uh, good food. We feed everybody, <laughs> And so, yeah, we, we, you can find out about it at RootedMinistry.com, uh, RootedMinistry.com.
0: Okay, good. Last thing I'm going to ask you guys, and uh, Jason and I always take notes on this. We'll put all this up on the website, but what do we need to be reading? And I'm going I'm to, while you're thinking about that, if each of you could give us one or two things, and uh, Cameron, I know I want you to mention the book that, you know, has come out of Rooted, uh, but... As you guys were talking, there were four things that came up that I would recommend to youth workers. Um, you know, one of you, one of you guys, I can't remember who it was, was talking a little bit about identity. And, well, Mike was talking about that. And I was thinking about Kristen Hatton's book. I met Kristen at the Rooted Conference. We had her on the podcast earlier, and her book FaceTime, which really is a first-person account uh, of struggle and a first-person account of going deeper in understanding a theology of identity. I, I say it's one of the best, concise, teachable, uh, understandable theologies of finding our identity in Christ that we can have for ourselves and then also share with our kids. Um, teaching the Bible, I think many of us, you know, let's self-educate here. Let's get started. I mean, I love to push seminary on youth workers because I think it's very important to transform me and my life. But, um, to Self-Educate, something like How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Doug Stewart and Gordon Fee is a great book mm, yeah. on interpreting scriptures. Uh, again, transformative. I've had those guys as professors, seminary back in the day. Uh, Catechism, the New City Catechism, um, mm. is a great one. Tim Keller, Kathy Keller have put that out, the folks at Redeemer. And then lastly, um, and this may be one that I don't know if you guys have read this. I, I'm sure Mike has, but Grounded in the Gospel. By co-written by uh, Jad Packer and a friend of ours, uh, Gary Parrott, who was one of my mentors when I did my doctoral work at Gordon-Conwell. Just a a great, great book, and can, you can learn a bit more about catechesis in that, and I really love that you guys mentioned that. So what about a book? How about each of you?
1: Sure. I'll, I'm going to throw out a couple. Uh, I'll, you know, shameless plug for Gospel-Centered Youth Ministry. Do it. Which M- Mike and I are— um, Mike and I are contributors to. It's it's a book about you know that kind of talks about those pillars, but also is, it's very practical. It talks about thirteen different facets of youth ministry and how the goth a third a third of each chapter is dedicated to how the gospel informs that area of youth ministry, and the other two thirds are practical uh, methodology on how you know how to practice it effectively. Uh, second book that um, this to me this has been the most most formative book for me in, in thinking about. Um, you, you know, moving youth ministry away from kind of an attractional model to, to um, something that's more grounded in the gospel. And it's called On Being a Theologian of the Cross. On Being a Theologian of the Cross by Gerhard Ferde, F-O-R-D-E. Uh, and it looks at Martin Luther's Heidelberg disputation. And and, it, and I, I think that Luther's reaction to medieval Catholicism, the, Catholic theology, is, is very relevant to... Um, the way that we think about moralistic therapeutic deism and how we respond to it with the gospel. I just wrote something for a Gospel Coalition about that in January. And so that book is extremely helpful on that. And then, sorry, one last thing, sorry, this is a shameless plug. I have a book coming out in July uh, called Therefore I Have Hope, 12 Truths That Comfort, Sustain, and Redeem in Tragedy. And it's a reflection on um, it's a reflection on how the Lord gave me hope after my son died. And it goes through the twelve most essential, uh, most essential biblical truths that that gave me hope. So that's coming out with Crossway, and I will shamelessly promote that. I'm
0: glad you <laughs> said that because that's that's. I'm looking forward to that. We talked about that. Thank you, Mike. We'll go to you then, Kevin.
3: Um, yeah. So I, I think I grounded the gospel. Uh, you already mentioned it. Um, that really was uh, excellent, and highly recommend that one. Um, I don't want to seem uh, whatever, but uh, Walt Mueller's Engaging the Heart of Youth Culture uh, from way back, um, that really was a, a game-changer for me. Uh, that's kind of the main, one of the main things that convinced me to even apply to the, uh, the DMIN program where we met. And uh, that, That's a great book on, on Christ and culture and uh, the youth minister's posture uh, toward culture um, from a gospel uh, approach. And um, yeah, and, uh, I think that one of the uh, between gospel-centered youth ministry and adoptive youth ministry, those are probably the you know probably the the first three books uh, that I would put in people's hands.
0: Yeah, you're talking about the one by Chap. Yeah, you're adopted. Yeah, Chap. that's yep. a, yeah, a gigantic textbook. There. Yeah, 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 yeah a bunch of us contributed to that. Good. I love that book. Great, yeah, it's great, a great uh, book. Yeah, Kevin, you get the last word, and then Jason will close us out today.
4: Yeah, uh, I'm thinking of three, uh, just going through The Imperfect Disciple by Jared Wilson with my students, and they are loving it. Um, he's a great writer, and so he's just, again, pounding the gospel and helping. This is really, I think, is uh, could also be titled The Gospel for Losers, like what Mike was talking about earlier. Uh, phenomenal book, uh, really helpful last year uh, for me personally. Um, and then I would mention two others. One is um, You Are What You Love by James K. Smith. Um, again, just talking about how the liturgical practices of the church really form the heart of the students. Uh, and then Thomas Bergler, he did a book on uh, From Here to Maturity Overcoming the Juvenilization of American Christianity. I think it's a sequel to a book that he wrote earlier on uh, the juvenilization of American Christianity. Yeah. And that's been really helpful. Yeah, yeah. that was really yeah. helpful.
0: That's good. And by the way, Jason, before you take us out, I'm just going to say um, yeah. all these, these, Mike, this is all familiar, right? We've used all these things. In yeah, doctoral program. So yep. this, is, this is what we love and, and how we love to learn. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, good. Thank you.
2: Yeah, I, you know, th- I, there's a number of books that I could add, but I, I'll just add one that was personally um, influential. And, and it was influential in that it, it caused me to dive back into Scripture in a way that I'd never done before and, and made the, the gospel, the good news, central in my life. Um, in my early twenties as I was recommitting my life to the Lord and uh, it was a book by Dallas Willard called Divine Conspiracy and it was the the first time that I'd ever uh, picked up a book uh, that caused me to actually pick up scripture and dive into scripture and uh, it it is a thick book but is a beautiful book it is a revealing book and um, I appreciate any book that drives me right back to the heart of scripture that drives me right back to understanding who Jesus is, um, and making him central central to my life. And so uh, I just am deeply grateful for that book and what it meant in my own walk. So, well, we'll make sure we have all these resources listed uh, on the podcast page. Uh, So when you go to the podcast page, you'll have a link to each of these. And so we're we're grateful for you, uh, our listener, and we are excited to be back with you again on the next podcast. Until then, take care.
1: Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.